TRP is a theologically progressive Baptist church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast. What's up, people? We are back in action in Jude's old bedroom, otherwise known as the studio. Very official. It is very, very official. It's messy. Looking around, you can't see it because you're listening. But I mean, there's stuff. Books upon books upon books. Yeah, you're pretty much just surrounded by books right I'm now. I'm like sort of barricaded in with any number of things. It's on a book fort. Psalms and atonement. A couple things I've been thinking about here recently. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, today we're going to actually be talking about Psalms again. Last week we introduced a new series, a new slash old series. Mm-hmm. It's a series of sermons that have already been completed and we're going back in time. If I could go back in time. See, you say that, and I would say, gotta go back in time. Huey Lewis. How many songs do you think there are about going back in time? I don't know. At least three. Yeah. Handful that we've probably never even heard of. Probably. So we're going back in time Mm -hmm. to talk about things that I've already talked about. This week, we're looking at Psalm 3. Now, the thing about this little series is... This is just, they're totally random psalms, and I think what we usually do when we read psalms, if we read psalms, we'll look at one poem and sort of identify it and read it on its own, in its own space. Right. This would be similar to hitting scan on the radio, if people still have radio, And listening to a song and then hitting scan and going to the next thing. Like, just totally disjointed. Mm -hmm. However, Tess, I don't know if you know this. There's a movement within psalm scholarship over the last 40 years, 30, 40 years. I think it started in the early 80s where people began looking at psalms not as a loosely collected random bunch of poems. They started looking at it in their terms, as a book, Hmm. like something that's been ordered. I would say a better analogy might be a really good Mm mixtape where you're putting songs in certain orders. I I don't know this about you, but I assume you have mixes for moods Mm -hmm. or colors. Yes. Like an orange mix (laughs) and a green mix. That's a great idea. Is it? Yes. Okay. For certain brain types, it it might be. Yeah. Um, But... There's an art form to making a mix. Mm -hmm. You got to start off strong. Yes. And if someone hits shuffle on your mix, it's not how it was intended. That's good, too. Should be listened to. Yes. There's there's an art form in the collating of these sources that have been created by different people Mm -hmm. for different purposes. Yep. You know, like if you take, uh, give me a song. Uh, On the spot. One, two, three, go. I can't say what I my first thought was. Excursions by Tribe Called Quest. Great. You get that song, and in its particular moment on uh, Low End Theory, it was the first track on that album. It like set the tone for that album. Right. And if you pluck it out and you put it in your mix, it's now functioning in a very different way. Yes. We don't think about psalms in that sort of frame, though, no. where these poems had a life prior to their inclusion in the book. Fun fact, I went to our pre-service 
playlist yesterday, and some rando had added these EDM songs to the beginning of our playlist. How? It's a it's a um, collaborative playlist, so anybody can add. But I blocked her and took all her songs off of it. I wish there was a way to block and also say, but we appreciate your passion. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. Like, keep doing that club. But also, like, maybe it's <laughs> keep doing that club. I think I don't. I'm old, and I just think EDM is a club Open thing. The club. I mean, it seems seems that way to me. We got anyway. the, we got the Super Bowl halftime show fresh in our brains and mm. fitty. Yeah. He was in the club. He was upside down in the club. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Which I hear, that's how the music video began. Oh, well, see, I didn't have that piece of information. I didn't remember that piece of information, but I believe that's that's the case. Hmm. Anyway, yes. like looking at Psalms as this ordered collection where it's got a specific beginning that has been placed by someone with a set of headphones dragging and dropping mm-hmm. really good tracks. So like mm-hmm. this, this girl who comes along and says, this mix needs some EDM at mm-hmm. the beginning to set the tone for what's about to follow all the sad bastard music that comes after that. Right. She said, pump up the people before you bring them down. Did she say that? No. Oh, but she didn't say that. Was, it was yeah, I implied. Wish, I wish we could comment like that. Yeah. It's like before you hit them with Penny and, the, and Sparrow mm-hmm. or before you hit them with some which De- depressing is Josh your Garrels. left foot, left foot, left fist, Penny or Sparrow? Right, right now I'm doing a little punchy jab motion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, left Penny is, Penny. is left, yeah. Right is Sparrow. I mean, clearly, thunderbolt and lightning. Exactly. Obviously. Yes, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> never, never been hit, never hit anything other than, you know, objects that don't move. Mm-hmm. Same. So the editor's... We're looking at this collection and, and putting things together. That's important for understanding maybe how to think about Psalms, but we don't do that. We come to the book and we read one at a time, and that's sort of how you can think about these Psalms. So Psalm 3 is the Psalm that uh, we looked at a few weeks ago, and I want to I do two things with it. One, I want to read it on its own as a standalone you hit scan on the radio, you come to a track, you listen to it, you appreciate it for what it is, and then you mm-hmm. move on. You show up to the party, yep. and they're at the middle of the playlist. Yeah, yep. and you hear the, the thing, yep. and then you leave, or you go get some crab dip. Mm-hmm. And then I want to place Psalm 3 in its larger context, maybe within the whole scope of the mixtape, because I think what happens is you hear two different two different messages. Um, there's something happening in the psalm by itself. It's good, but it misses some of the larger picture of what it what it could be. So, if you will indulge me, I'll go ahead and read the psalm for us, and then we can talk about it a little bit. This is Psalm three, I believe. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. This is one of the psalms that has uh, a long. It's called a long title. Scholars are not creative, creative. Uh, in any way, but they're like, hmm, this title this is title longer than the others, long. so let's call it a long title. Right. Uh, but really, these long titles, there's 13 of them in the entire book, and they're always about David, and they're always providing information about some moment in David's life that will frame how the psalm is to be read. I'm going to come back to that, but that, that's enough for now. So the, the pre-Psalm stuff says, a Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. 
Now we get into the song proper. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying to me, there's no help for you in God. And then we get this word um, in the text, Selah. Have you ever heard any of the, the talking points about Selah? I have. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really spiritually, yeah. uh, you know, gratifying, like, oh, this is a, a holy moment. Mm-hmm. Stop and pause and reflect. Some people like to name their kids Selah. Uh-oh. Do we know any of those? No. Okay, good. Not personally. Here, here's the deal with that word. Nobody knows what it means. Seriously? Yeah. If if you read Psalms, there's all these words. What do people say it means? Pause? People, well, people, not scholars, yes. say it means a holy pause, a moment, take a moment of reflection. They, holy pause. Yeah. The th- they think that it's an instruction to the readers to stop and just to contemplate. So, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me and many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. Mm-hmm. Think about, think about what this terrible, said. this terribleness that's happening. Yeah, you got enemies everywhere. Pause and think about the terribleness. Yeah, think about the people that are talking garbage about you the in holy, your life. The holy terribleness. Just think, just sit in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Meditate upon it. Such a good time. So, really, though, um, scholars don't quite have any idea what it means because it shows up at random times. Like it's not always in a a moment that would seem to invite a holy pause. It can be in the middle of the line. It can be like totally random. Sometimes it fits. Um, and if that is meaningful for you, then go for it. Yeah, holy pause it up. But <laughs> that there's a lot of confusion. And we see a lot of these terms too um, throughout Psalms, specifically with things that may or may not be musical instruments or may or may not be tunes that the choir director would have known. So like a lot of the Psalms, the titles say to the choir director or to the director, to the leader of worship, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And then it will say... Wouldn't it make more sense if it were musical direction then? Well, yes, maybe. Okay. Um, And then it will go on to say something like, according to the... Oh, I forget what it's called. It's like the, the day of the dove or the doe of the deer something it's like oh you know that doe old a deer tune. a female deer yeah you know that old tune sing it like that one sing oh. it according to that mm-hmm. you know melody. melody but yeah so they would say it would make sense if selah was a musical instruction but here's the deal just nobody knows what it means you know because there's it, no parts of the word that so it comes it comes from a, a verb root that means something about like rising Hmm. But I mean, what do you do with that? So Selah is more of a feeling than a word. Maybe. I mean, what are it's you? more than a spirit feeling. rising? Maybe. I don't know. I, I think the point is, it's ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Best not to name your children. Gotcha. Selah. I got to check that one off. Or, get a, or, get, a, or get a sweet Selah tattoo. Mm-hmm. Or name your contemporary Christian band Selah. Unless, unless your point for getting the tattoo is... Don't know. Don't know. I love ambiguity. Yep. <laughs> That'd be a great tattoo. It just says ambiguity. Yes. It actually would be a terrible tattoo. It would be terrible, but it would also be great. I like the idea of it. Yeah. All right, so... Not enough to put it on my body, though. No. The psalmist is, is starting off starting off with a, a hot streak here, 
many are my foes, many are rising up against me, many are saying to me, there's no help for you in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy hill. Selah. That's a nice one. Mm-hmm. That's a good moment. Yeah. Take it in. Better Breathe it in. first. Yep. I lie down and sleep. I wake again for the Lord sustains me. I'm not afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. Rise up, O Lord. These are commands. Like this is the do something about this part. So you got the beginning, which is saying, here's my situation. It's terrible. People are encircling me. There's enemies rising up. There are foes, you know, and anytime a foe is involved. My foes are many. Okay. They rise against me. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, Or is that another one that Chris did not actually write, but he made millions on singing somebody else? Probably that one, if I had to guess. Things are bad, but God, you're good. You're you're a shield around me. Um, You've answered me from your holy hill. I am sustained. I'm not afraid. But also, but also... Do something now, because all these people are talking smack about me, and I know that you're good. Let's go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. And specifically, note, the psalmist says, rise up. It's the same verb root for uh, many are rising against me. So the psalmist is saying, there's people that are rising against me, but God, you rise you do something. You do the thing that they're doing, but in a like better way. Match their... In a, in a more positive way. Yeah. And then they're also saying there's no help for you in God. That word help there is more of like a deliverance term, a salvation term. And then the psalmist says, deliver me. So the psalmist is matching the terribleness in the first couple of verses. Many are rising up against me, so you rise up, God. Many are saying that there's no deliverance for me, so you deliver me. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And that some people will say that that first person singular, my, is really important there because the psalmist is like claiming God for themselves. Um, goes on to say, For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. You could also read that as past tense. You've done this before in the past. I'm basing my imperatives to you on what I know you have already done. So it's not just a well-wishing, hopeful, you know, um, anticipation. It's, you've done this back then, do it right now. You've risen up before, rise up again. You've delivered me before, deliver me again. And then verse 8, it kind of gives us theological underpinning to the whole thing. It says, deliverance belongs to the Lord, which again... They're saying, no deliverance is available for you. And the psalmist says, yeah, forget you guys. Deliverance is the Lord's. It's not yours to give or take. It's God's. And may God's blessing be on God's people. Selah. Another Selah term. Ambiguity. Ambiguity. Maybe instead of just reading Selah, we should say ambiguity. Yes. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a playlist called Selah. And it's just going to be like a bunch of songs that are like, I don't know. I should also mention that I demanded Tessa go to this um, denominational intern. Oh my gosh, I don't, I can't imagine, I can't believe that didn't even. Yeah, and the name of this denominational intern gathering Mm -hmm. was C'est La Vie, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't 
French. No. C apostrophe E S T. It wasn't say la vie. It was say la V. Ambiguity. V. Life. Live. Life. I don't know if it's Ambiguity life. Ambiguity. That feels accurate, to be honest. That's good. All right. So on its own, there's a lot of stuff in this poem that's worth reflecting on. Whether or not Selah means, you know, holy pause, take a moment, think about things, forget it. You can you can hear the words and you can dive in. This is a cool thing about the book of Psalms. And while the book is set in a very ancient, very patriarchal society, while it is not, it doesn't include any poems written by um, women that we know of, uh, I'm, I'm trying to say like historically marginalized people groups, which isn't necessarily true because they're all written by historically marginalized right. people groups because that's what ancient Israel was. But there's, you know, a, a nationalistic focus mm-hmm. to this that excludes many modern day readers. Right. You know, there's no LGBTQ plus representation in the mm-hmm. psalm so in many ways there's like there's a lot of barriers between modern readers and the book because it's it's old it's got old images it's got old theologies it's got um a very limited viewpoint that's represented but there's other ways that you can dive in pretty easily and become the unnamed i right in the psalm you know like whoever's saying this i've got enemies all around me we can relate to that in mm-hmm. some way was there anything in that psalm, not to put you on the spot, but was there anything in that psalm that like sticks out to you or things that you can grab onto? Well, it's funny because I always like, I do what you just said is like you put yourself into the psalm and it always feels a little dramatic. Like, sure, sometimes you feel like you have enemies rising against you. My foes! But it, the foes. Feel, it feels a little... Uh, dramatic well because in the ancient world especially if you're thinking through the lens of david especially if you're thinking through the lens of david fleeing from his son absalom oh i'm saying it's not dramatic for them i say it's it's dramatic for me well, to no, that's, put myself that, that's oh, what, what i mean saying? that's okay. what i'm saying so like david is the king of israel mm-hmm. fleeing from his son absalom who is attempting a coup to i guess ostensibly kill his dad and take over his throne, that's pretty beefy. Oh, it's all the way beefy. The closest point of contact that I have to that sort of familial discord is my son deciding to root for the Yankees Hmm. in a household that is all Orioles. Pretty much only because you don't like the Yankees. Yeah. He follows you in that way. Yeah. The contrary. I I remember being, I think I was 10 years old. It was, I think it was 91 because it was the year that Christian Leitner hit that shot against Kentucky. You know what I'm talking about, Tessa. Sure, yeah, totally. Famous. Grant Hill, for so famous. inbound pass, throws it three quarters of the length of the court. And we're talking basketball here. Mm-hmm. Christian Leitner catches it with his back towards the hoop, fakes one way, turnaround jumper, 2.1 seconds when he catches it, puts it up in the air, swish, and Duke beats Kentucky. My dad was a Kentucky fan. Mm. And I decided maybe that day, you know who I'm not going to like forever? Kentucky. Kentucky. And you know who I still don't like to this day? Kentucky. Kentucky. I hate them with a visceral 
passion. I mean, if anything, you probably hate them more than you did then. Probably. You yeah. probably dug your heels in a yeah, little bit. They've won some championships since that time. But anyway, I remember like dad getting so uh, he was he was pumped because you know, like they were they were winning and they shouldn't have won. Duke was a really good team. And then Leitner hit that shot and I was just running around the house like a crazy person. Oh my god. Familial discord. Wow. For no good reason. Right. I love my dad. Yeah. And like we both like the Orioles. We both like the Philadelphia Eagles. Like there's things that we share, but there's certain things. Like for some reason I was like, you know what? Screw you, Dad. I'm not on board with Kentucky. I was ten. What do I know? I was just being stupid. Duke wasn't the underdog in that situation, were they? This was actually um Or were they? They weren't who people now know them to be. Okay. They were just beginning. And this might... So I've, maybe it was an underdog thing. It might have been the year that they won their first championship. Because if, if memory serves, they won back-to-back championships mm-hmm. uh, with Leitner. And I think that might have been the year they went on to beat Kansas. But I could be wrong on that. Either way, it was it was early. And yeah, so that's that's my like my foes. I'm not going to say Abe's a foe because he no. likes Aaron Judge. That's right. That's dumb. But like, can we dive into that and and feel like, yeah, there's things or people or experiences that I can relate to with the psalmist? Yeah. Sometimes things feel that big, even if they maybe aren't. Yeah. Can I just read from the message real quick? It says... Yeah, this is going to make me sad, though, because I really like Eugene Peterson. No, it's just funny. Okay. Enemies sprouting like mushrooms. His, see, <laughs> this is what I mean. That makes you sad? What does he do with Selah? Should be the end of uh, probably verses one through two. Weird thing about the message, they group verses. Okay, so it says, God, look, enemies past counting. Enemies sprouting like mushrooms. Mob of Mobs of them all around me, roaring their mockery. Ha! No help for him from God. There's nothing. Nothing? Mm-mm. Huh. He now, said, it's ambiguous. Now... Eugene, my main man Eugene, is mm-hmm. no slouch. Like, he went to Johns Hopkins. Right. I don't think he finished his uh, PhD, but he was studying ancient Near Eastern languages and civilizations, cultures, one of the two. Um, so he, he knows, because the faculty back then, they were, they were top-notch. So, so the guy knows stuff, and apparently, right. like, his, his life's practice was waking up and just hanging out with Greek and Hebrew Bible, translating it. Like, the message started because of a Bible study that he was doing on Galatians, I think, and instead of using any of the translations that were available to him, he was like, you know what, I think I can do something better that's more contextual for my folks. But now, what's happened is, you read that, and you're like, oh, no, Eugene. I just like that he says mushrooms. It's like when my grandmother bought me that sweatshirt with, the like, a wolf on it, like, howling at the at the sunrise it's like oh no i can't wear this i can i mean now it's like it's ironic it's cool yeah do you still have that shirt no and i i'm not an ironic person no you could have gifted it to josh revel though correct but yeah like it's just like oh man that's oh it's so sad because you don't know what i like yeah and i feel like that with eugene sometimes when how he uses phrases like (laughs) eugene you don't know what i like oh eugene you don't know we don't want to think our enemies are sprouting up like mushrooms that's weird it is kind of a nice visual though yep in that sense i mean it's good i used to be on a real like high horse about bible translations you've got to read the right bible translation Mm. and you can't read the message because it's in modern day 
parlance. Mm-hmm. So stupid. Yeah. Gosh, I wish I could go back and just beat myself. No. You know, I was saying like thunderbolt and lightning. Yeah. I needed a little bit of that from future Josh to say, hey, stop being such a huge well, butt. You're here now. Here I am. We can be gracious to ourselves. Yes. Okay, but yeah, there's ways that we can dip into the psalm and read it just just on its own. Now, I got some things to say, like just going through, uh, you know, some of the the psalm's content here that may or may not be interesting. So that psalm title, uh, a psalm of David in Hebrew, that's Le David. Uh, well, Mismore Le David. So that Le David phrase there. That's is, in Hebrew. Yeah. Huh. Why? Doesn't sound like Hebrew. What it sounds sound like, like French or something. David. Yeah, kind of. Well, that you, it's you, know, you be- just made it Italian. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's probably because I'm not good at reading uh, Greek and Hebrew out loud. Hmm. But so anyway, we get this bit: a Psalm of David, which most people immediately go to. What interpretation? What does a Psalm of David mean? He wrote it. Yes. But he didn't. It's about authorship. Well, you're spoiling the punchline. Sorry, go ahead. You're spoil- taking my thunder. We can take it out. Do you want to, no, do you want to do this? Uh, do you want to do this? Tell us why. Tell us why. I don't know if I got oh, that far. Sorry. Well, maybe after today. Um, it, well, first of all, we've talked about ambiguity a lot. That Le David, it can mean any number of things. It doesn't necessarily have to be a claim of Authorship. It can be a psalm to David, for David, about David, concerning David. Um, a psalm that David owns, in a sense. Like, it's from the David collection, which I like to think about. Like, there's some celebrities that have a certain, you know, like, clothing line at Kmart. It's like, oh, this is... Clothing line at Kmart? You heard what I said, and I'm standing by it because okay. my older listeners will know when you went into like Kmart or Walmart or something, it's like, oh, this is the good I think Mary Kmart. Kate and Ashley Olsen yep. had a line at, was it Kmart or somewhere? Probably, yeah. yeah. Or like um, Shaquille O'Neal had shoes that were, uh, they were knockoffs of something. I saw a a thing that he posted the other day is like, y'all busting on these shoes, but I've sold millions of Shaq shoes. Anyway, it's like a collection of David Psalms. It's not necessarily that he wrote them. It's just something that that's like to him, especially in his role as a king. There are things that belong to him or any king that don't belong to other people in the same sort of way. So it doesn't necessarily mean authorship. Now, we do have this this last little bit here, the narrative bit. It's setting the context for the psalm when David was fleeing from his son Absalom. So what most people think is, oh, we're getting a historical note about who wrote it and when they wrote it. So this is something that David wrote in his moleskine while he was on the run in the back of a chariot, and his son is throwing spears at him, and he's just saying... Uh, you know, in his Hebrew language, many are my foes, O Lord. And he's like penning this as it's happening. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the image that we have here. Probably not the case. So most scholars would say, first of all, the the David stuff is ambiguous. And second of all, these things were added way later. Wait, can I ask something? Yeah, please. This might be a stupid question. There are no such things. I feel like... That's actually not actually true. Think that. yeah, that's that, no, yeah. Anyway, beside the point. Did people know they were writing psalms when they were writing them? 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Did they have, like, could they see the other Psalms? So this goes back to, if you haven't listened to the intro episode, hit pause, go back and, and hear us talk about Hermann Gunkel. Remember, mm-hmm. Gunkel yes. working in Sam Goody's and he's sorting all the stuff. Mm-hmm. So part of that is Gunkel is saying that there's forms that are like stereotypes of praise, lament, thanksgiving. So they knew the forms. That That's the theory. Maybe. That people know the because form. Because the language across them feels similar. Similar. Yeah. Especially when you like... Here's the bad thing that's happening, but you are still pretty cool. You need to do something. It's like even that movement, it happens a lot. So yeah, people, the theory then would be that authors are using this form and then they're plugging in their information with some of their own stylistic choices. Mm-hmm. But it's, there is no, oh, what would be an example? There is no free form rap there is no spoken word there is no slam poetry mm-hmm. which even that i guess has a certain feel to it but it can be a a, a whole host of things mm-hmm. could quantify as slam poetry right there's very little of that in psalms it's it's more it's much more formulaic so in that sense yeah i think that they knew now did they know that their psalm would be taken by an editor later and then thrown into right. the canonical version of the book of psalms no that seems crazy um but do they know that it's going to serve a function yes and again gunkel would say it's probably got in its uh, original form it's serving a function within corporate israelite worship so they're not writing these aren't excerpts from one's prayer journal these are formal poems they were designed to be consumed by other people Mm -hmm. And, and not just consumed in the sense of uh hearing them they were written to be performed Mm. to be used so you go to the temple and it, it may have worked, this is pretty crass, but it may have worked like, oh, what's your deal today? Oh, I'm, you know, I need a, I need a Thanksgiving because I was praying to God to do something and God did it. All right, here, here's one. And then you read it. So it's, it's almost like when you go to the temple or you go to a worship setting, you could theoretically be using a bunch of different forms that were already pre-written. In that sense, it's sort of like the Book of Common Prayer, where it's like, oh, man, I'm really wrestling with um, racism in America. And then you go and you think about, like, the prayer for unity or the prayer for peace or whatever, and you kind of go in and you figure out which prayer works best for you. So the title, it's late, an editor has put it in, and the reason why an editor has put it in is so that people will be able to read the psalm through the lens of David fleeing from his son, but it wasn't David really fleeing from his son and writing a poem in his moleskine in the back of a chariot. I keep saying moleskine. Is that right? Um, I've always said moleskin, but... It's got the E on the end. I assumed you were right. Okay, maybe everybody else will assume that too. Although, (laughs) with this being the internet, I'm very skeptical. 
Let's that. see. Well, you, you can fact check that and report report back to us. Okay. So that's what's happening here with the Psalm title. They're wanting you to think of it in this way, but it's probably not the case that David was writing this as this was happening. Moleskin. Moleskin. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up, it's robot okay. lady. You can't be right about everything, Josh. Oh, yeah, that, that ship sailed a long time ago. <laughs> Um, one of the reasons why, again, this was probably not the case that David in the back of the chariot writing this out is because when you compare the, the mentality of the psalmist in Psalm 3 with the story of David fleeing his son Absalom from 2 Samuel, there's, there's differences there. For example, in Psalm 3, the psalmist is pretty confident, right? The psalmist remembers God doing big things in the past and is asking God to do them again because they've got this framework of God delivering them, you know, in, in years gone by. And the psalmist even says of themselves uh, that they're not afraid of 10,000s of people who would set themselves against them on all sides. They're not afraid. Now, in 2 Samuel, when David is fleeing from his son— he says to his officials, this is from 2 Samuel 15, get up, let's get out of here, or there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Hurry up, or he's going to overtake us and bring disaster down upon us and attack the city with the edge of the sword. So you've got the psalmist who's like, I'm not afraid because God will, God will be with me. And then in 2 Samuel, David's like, get out of here. Back, go. Let's, let's get out. Let's go. So there's, there's very different different images. Fight or flight, flight or flight. And yeah, and in Psalm fight 3, it's fight. And in Psalm, no, in 2 Samuel 15, it's flight. Mm -hmm. And we see that a lot in the, in the long titled Psalms where the different pictures of the narrative David and the psalmist David. Now, maybe he just, if you want to play this out, well, maybe he's writing a psalm in a different sort of mentality. Okay. <laughs> I think we're, there we're just trying to salvage... A, maybe a nostalgic relationship with the book of Psalms where David is the one who's writing these. But if you just look at the 13 long-titled Psalms, they don't usually work out too well. Now, let's talk about this. The genre mm -hmm. of the Psalm, we get it from the very beginning, you know, like the, the story is set. This is when David was almost going to be killed by his son. That sets a tone, right? It sets a mood. Yeah. I'd say so. You're not getting a praise. You're not getting some thanks. You're getting no. a, we got to go, man. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's some pleading, some protesting that's happening here. So this is a lament psalm. And again, we can remember Gunkel's different categories of psalms and which genres they are. This is a, a lament psalm. The lament psalms are just a, a quick definition. Like they're, the stuff has hit the fan in the life of the psalmist, and they are now talking about it and then begging God to do something about it. Mm -hmm. There's And there's no resolution. We don't know if God is going to answer the prayer. Right. That comes in the Thanksgiving psalm. Thanksgiving psalm is, oh, you prayed the lament, God responded, everything's cool, now give thanks. So again, like you're going to the temple and they're like, oh, I got to give thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, here's your Thanksgiving offering. Read this prayer and maybe sacrifice some stuff. Mm -hmm. A lament is this prayer to God to answer, to deliver, to do something, and it's 
left unstated whether or not God does that because the, the whole story hasn't unfolded yet. The lament psalms are the most represented psalm type in the book. Mm-hmm. That's significant. Yeah. Like, what do, you, what do you get from that? I say, of all 150 psalms, the one genre that has more inclusion than any other genre is the lament psalm. What do we gain from that? I don't know. I mean, that's... It, it feels like life. <laughs> Just like a part of life. I think that's the answer. Yeah. Life doesn't always work out. Right. Life isn't always predictable. Life is sometimes chaotic. Also, sometimes we're not as good at the Thanksgiving part of things as we are at the lamenting. Yes. In certain circles. I don't know. Yeah, no, no. I, I see what you're saying. I I probably wouldn't have gone there because I don't think the Thanksgiving Psalms being underrepresented is a lack of offering the Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely the case that in your life, oh, this is, okay, maybe I'm being Debbie Downer here. In your life, you're going to have more opportunities to lament than you will to give thanks. I said that. Oh, I sad. said that out loud. I, I just did. This feels like a philosophical yeah, kind of I know. conversation. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I mean, because theoretically, there's things to give thanks for all the time. Yeah. But, you know, again, stereotypically, when people pray, they're praying from mm-hmm. a place of need, from a place of hurt, from a place of do something about we much, this. We much more quickly go to prayer when we're in need of something than when we're being grateful or thankful for something. Yeah, that's fair. So maybe, maybe Tessa, you're you're actually correct in the representation of of the lament psalms shows up because of that sort of what we go to. Yeah, we 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 just are sort need. of wired mm-hmm. to pray in certain moments, mm-hmm. and the Bible reflects that. I think yeah. we could also say though, that, like, there's theological significance in lament being very well represented in the sense of it's okay. To bring all of your stuff to God, mm-hmm. God will hear it and respond. Probably, yeah, maybe, maybe, hopefully, sometimes. You can say your things. Psalm three is tame. You know, like you're a shield around me. Like that's all. That's all really nice. Some mm-hmm. of it's like you're a you're a bastard. Mm-hmm. Where are you? Mm-hmm. What's happened? Where? What's going on here? This is not what you said you would do, dude. Do that thing you're supposed to do. This one's kind of nice in the sense of like, I know that you can do this because you've done it before. Mm -hmm. Do it again. This one. And then there's others that are just like, they're rough. They're harsh. I struggle with the concept of do what you said you were going to do. Because? Because what has he said? It's all, it feels very general to me. So this is where people would say, um, now, okay, there's two two different ways you could approach that. Ancient Israel would say, hold up your end of the covenant, man. Mm, okay. Well, that seems more People s- now specific. would say, I've selected exactly. all of these things right. from the Bible that you said are true, and they don't seem very true. Mm-hmm. Selah, you know? 
ambiguity. Also, I feel like people today maybe think that they hear that in their personal life that God is going to do certain things, but we're not always right about this, oh my gosh, certain yeah. things. I mean, my dad has said, and this is one of his quotes that I love, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that God doesn't do. Mm, yeah. And similarly, God probably has things put into his mouth that he that, never... Correct. Yeah. Um, and uh, apologies, I'm defaulting to masculine pronouns for God. Yeah. I've got this book, God is a Black Woman, sitting on the top of my stack right next to me, and I'm feeling a little convicted by that lapse, but, you know, all of that... It's ways easy to of, fall back into... It's it's it, But I want it to be clear, like, it's all metaphorical language. Yeah. But, okay, along with that, we just you know, had... Ariana the, Grande says God is a woman. Well... <laughs> I mean, and in certain in certain texts, yes, she is yeah. absolutely, yeah. because it's all metaphorical. We just had the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. and after the Super Bowl, this one's going to get spicy. Are you ready? Yeah, this is spice. Oh boy! All right, sporty spice because of the because theme. of the yeah. yeah. The Super Bowl MVP Cooper Cup in a post game interview. While holding his child, responded to a question that was off, that was offered to him by one of the media people. Shared a story of a couple of years ago, where he said he received a divine revelation from God that his team would win the Super Bowl and that he would be the Super Bowl MVP. What? So he said. So today I was not playing in a place of. I forget how he phrased it, but it was like, I wasn't playing in anxiety. I was playing in freedom because all I had to do was show up and be who I was and perform at the level that I know how to perform at and that the, the story was written is sort of what he was saying. Do wow. you have, do you have gut level reactions to something like that? Cause on one, on the, on the one side, it's like, you don't want to, discount what people no. are hearing but at the same time i don't know that god gives two rips about the super bowl also like what if someone else on the other team also thought that they i don't i don't know or certainly there was people on the other team that were that were probably praying for a yeah for, for an outcome sure there's certainly fans all over the place that are praying yeah. for certain things i just i have a hard time thinking that god is that invested in american sports to be writing a script? I mean, it could be that he was in that mindset and that helped him sure. get to yes. where he wanted to be. Are there psychological advantages to playing in freedom? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Good for you. I just started listening to The Secret. Have you... You know this book. I, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. But, I mean, okay, I think... I bet... I bet there is some science. I bet. I do not know this for sure. I bet there's some science, though, to the power of positive thinking. Yeah. Because I tend to be very cynical. And sometimes, you know this, I bet. Sometimes you can conjure up a bad result by anticipating a bad result mm -hmm. and sort of living that out. Yeah. So, okay. So, this past weekend, I just ran a 50K. And I was by myself for probably... <laughs> Probably a, a strong three hours of that. 
and what's going on in my mind. That's why I'm so I'm so proud of myself for finishing this in, in a halfway decent time frame. Yeah. But like you allowed to li- you're allowed to listen to stuff, or oh, yeah. are you? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. There's some marathons you're not allowed to. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. Weird. I've never liked running because in the past, like I talk myself into like, oh, you're tired. Just quit. Just stop. Just stop running right now and walk. That's what you need to do. And I'll listen to myself mm-hmm. when I say that. But like, you know, I'm, I'm. That's hard too when you're on your own for hours. Like, yeah. And like everything inside of you is saying, it's like, yeah, I, sh- I should just listen. This to isn't that. your day. You know, mm. shut it down. Let's just walk for, you know, five minutes, ten minutes. Let's just. It's fine. Yeah. And I, if you play into that, yeah, you're... It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. But if you say, shut up, you, and then you keep <laughs> keep moving... Shut up, self. Then, you know, so, yeah, there's a lot. I, I assume there's a lot of science involved in, like, this, the way that we think about things. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to... I don't know what to do with that sort of understanding, but God gets put on the hook for... Mm-hmm certain things what would he i i wonder what he would have been saying if they had not won next time oh there wasn't a specific year in this um correct yeah because this was years ago yeah Mm. and he said he told his wife and i don't discount the truth of all of that no i i absolutely believe that he probably felt that he had that thing happen to him i think that people can be inspired to do great things in the world I mean, the guy's had a monster season. He's He was the best wide receiver in the entire league after, like, nobody wanted him to... He was a, he was a very under-recruited college player. Mm. Like, nobody wanted him for college. I don't remember when he got drafted, but, like, his story is, like, he's just worked his butt off. Mm-hmm. And it's all, he, you know, the, the piper is being paid, mm-hmm. so to speak. So and all that, that's great. But like, I just flashed to Pied Piper. Yeah, of course. That show. Anyway, yeah. So I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with all of that, and I don't know. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't want to take away from him that that he believes that and that happened and all of that, but I wanna, it just makes it hard to. Who like I don't know. I want to for the people that doesn't happen correct. to. I want to push against that theologically and yeah. say, okay, does it make? Does it make sense that God is invested in American football and is choosing a winner? I'm not sure. I want to say there's probably a lot of other things he's concerned with. I Gosh, I hope so. Yeah. Although, you know, coming back to lament, there's things that we should be saying, hey, rise up, deliver, do something, and it's not football related. Uh, last right. thing about that, I would also say that if the Bengals won the Super Bowl, somebody on that Bengals team would have had a similar story about how God had helped them. You know, every, yeah. every post-game interview, it's like, I'm only here because of God. That's yeah. part of our culture in that sense where it's, you know, we score a touchdown and we cross ourselves and do a little prayer type thing. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. But we've got these Psalms. They're very well represented. God can handle whatever it is that we want to give to God through prayer. Now, Tessa, you like um, depressing music. Do you also say you? <laughs> do you also like Psalms, the Lament Psalms? Like, do you think is this like is this your language, or would you rather force yourself into a different sort of expression? No, when I'm when I'm, uh, I think when I'm in a space, a not, a not so good space, I tend to listen to stuff that's 
matches that. You want to wallow. Sometimes, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I get that. Now, in the... I like to feel the feelings. Yeah. Which I think is healthy for an amount of time. And, uh, yes. and A set amount of time, and then you got to yeah. shift. Got to shift. In the American church, lament is wildly underrepresented. Yeah. Back in the early 80s, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but uh, Walter Brueggemann wrote an essay called The Costly Loss of Lament, where he was saying, and there's a lot on the hook here if we don't include lament in our formal worship gatherings. I also, I, I would tend to think that this is a very white, middle-class sort of way of thinking about things. I do not believe that you could generalize, say, um, the black church experience and say it's devoid of lament. Right. I don't think that's the case. No. But within these larger um, expressions of, of American Christianity, sometimes lament is not included. Why do you think that is the case? Um, people are uncomfortable with lament. Because? Because... People like prosperity. They like the prosperity gospel. They like thinking that God is... They don't like doubting that God is following through with what he said he yeah, would do. That, that, that makes it... It's the theology that we hold is on the hook when life stinks. Mm -hmm. When you're in the hospital waiting room, your theology is on the border because you've said all this stuff about how God is good all the time mm -hmm. and you're not good mm -hmm. and life isn't good. So right. God better be good or else everything that you once thought falls apart. Right. Man, that seems heavy, doesn't it? Well, it is kind of heavy. But here's the deal. Like we go into churches and I, lo I love um, King of My Heart. Mm-hmm. John Mark. Yeah. You know, I got a soft spot for that guy. Yeah. And like that that chorus, like, you are good and good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's about as soulful as I get. What I have, I don't know what you're about to say. I know, I know. But I know. Do you? I think so. The song is actually not that cookie cutter forcey. Like, he's... He's, he's, he's singing it to get himself into the... Correct. And, and in that way, it's very lament-ish, you know? So like, but you, oh God, are a shield around my entire being, mm -hmm. which is a cool image, mm -hmm. right? Because a shield usually in front, but this shield is 360. I just imagined um, the Cone of Silence from um, <laughs> that Steve Carell movie, Get Smart. Well, it's, it's oh, old, older than that. Yeah, but I don't remember that. He thinks he's in the cone of silence, and he starts yelling and celebrating, and then he realizes everybody can hear him because he wasn't actually right. in the... Anyway. Yeah. What was I talking about? Shields around, surrounding us. Oh, no, so the song, like, so that you are good, it's like a, it's like a, this is the thing that I want to believe when everything else is awful. Yeah. When the night is... Oh my gosh, we've done this song I know, so and much. I know, I'm blanking on it. So whatever, it's like, it's very lamenting in that way. But here's the, here's the thing. Most people in the seats don't know the background to that, nor are they able in the moment to say to themselves, oh, I see what's happening here. I don't, right. think, I don't think people think about lyrics 
like that at all, whether it's at church, on the radio. I don't think that we're, most normal people aren't thinking that much during the corporate worship part of Un- unless you're our experience. Me and Correct. You. Now, yeah. there, I mean, you're an artist, you're an Enneagram 4. There's people right. that are very different, but I think the majority of people like a song because of the tune. So when they get to that hook, you are good, you are good. Somebody who shows up whose life is not good might balk at that moment and say, screw you. Mm-hmm. That's that's not that's not my world. Right. I can't sing this. I can't participate in this. And that whole idea of like the theology sort of driving this demand for a picture of who God has to be or else is really interesting. And this is another reason why the the lament psalms being in the book are really important. Mm-hmm. Because, again, uh, my main man, Walter Brueggemann, takes the categories that Gunkel came up with, praise psalms, lament psalms, thanksgiving psalms, and then he he kind of puts a, a meta category above that and says, we've got psalms of orientation, mm-hmm. which is the core theology of Israel. These are all of the true statements about who God is. This is the, if they went to the website, the statement of faith that ancient Israel had, those would be the Psalms of orientation. God is creator. God is sustainer. God is the one who brought us out of the Exodus. God is, you know, fill in the blank, all these things. But then the lament Psalms are in conversation with that. They're the Psalms of disorientation because the orientation Psalms aren't working. And these people are now trying to figure out what the heck is going on. So they look back and they're in dialogue with the Psalms of orientation saying, this isn't true. It's not working. The Psalms are very inclusive to the full spectrum of like a life of faith. Yeah. Remind me, is there a pattern um, in the way that the Psalms are, like the whole book is arranged? No. Okay. And this, that's the so problem. there's not like lament. Well, like. Thanksgiving. I should back up a little bit because some some people, like we were talking about at the very beginning, are hyper aware of the the overarching structure of the book, mm-hmm. and they see a narrative that has been placed on it. So okay. remember, the Psalms are broken up into five books, and books one, two, and three, they would say, outline the kingship of David and its collapse. And then at the end of book three, it's like everything has completely disintegrated and they realize that God is their king, and and the human king is a disaster. And then what are the last two? Uh, books four and five. So book four then is response to that situation, and it begins with a bunch of the Yahweh is king psalms. Mm-hmm. So it's painting this picture of David was a nightmare, the monarchy was a nightmare, everything collapses, God's still the one, so look back. Actually, the the very first psalm of book four, Psalm 90, is supposedly, it's a psalm of Moses. Mm-hmm. So it's like, David isn't the guy. Let's go back even farther and hear what Moses has to say. Hmm. You know, so it's like, there's this... So they sort of put it into the classic story line Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a narrative that's happening. Um, and then four and five is, uh, you know... God is the king, and then in book five, the only thing I could really think of there is just like it's this culmination in praise. Like the last five psalms, it's like praise the Lord, 
praise the Lord. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. It moves from, Brueggemann would say, from obedience, Psalm 1, which is very much a do this and you'll get that, to praise. So there is a structure, but as far as the genres go, not really. Books 1 through 3 are very lament heavy, Mm -hmm. but there's praise in there, there's thanksgiving in there, there's royal psalms, there's a bunch of stuff that's happening. This is why... Brueggemann goes above that and says, let's get some some themes here. Orientation, disorientation, and then reorientation, that's the, or new orientation, that's when the thanksgivings show up and say, the disorientation has been resolved by God answering the prayers. And this, like the, the phrase that you use, like it's representative of the life of faith, that's what Brueggemann called his book. Oh. Psalms and the Life of Faith. Didn't know that. It's an edited collection. And I, uh, but that article where he talks about orientation, disorientation, reorientation, it was about, I think it was called Psalms. It, that one might have been called Psalms and the Life of Faith too. So he's saying that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Your life has got these patterns of moments where you're cool with the theology. It's working for you. Everything makes sense. But then you get a diagnosis or then somebody passes away or then you look outside your window and see the state that the world is in. Then your church implodes. Then, like any number of things that are happening, where you look back and say, "All those promises, they're not coming to fruition." So we have these moments of orientation and then disorientation and reorientation that makes it difficult for um, within the church. It's difficult for people to include, for some reason, the disorientation and the reorientation because of what that may or may not mean. And we usually just hang out with the Psalms of orientation, all of the easy, the crazy, this is the standard thing. Meanwhile, you got people in the seats that are struggling with that because they're in conversation with the orientation saying, this is not true for me. Glad it's working for you. There's an impulse to, like I can imagine if, the if a lament psalm was set up on stage there's an impulse to then say but it's okay because and sometimes you have to stay in the moment where it's not okay for a second yeah or and that might not necessarily be you get the diagnosis and you're figuring out what it now looks like but what happens when your loved one dies Mm -hmm. do not do not show up at my funeral or anybody else's and say, this is all part of the plan. Get out of here. Yeah. That's not even the orientation. Like, right. we've created this theology to protect our own understanding of who God is. Mm-hmm. But when we say things out loud, it turns God into an absolute tyrant that I personally would like to have nothing to do with. Yeah. If God's plan is... Josh is going down. Like a, a horrendous death. Yeah, no. Like kids you know what like no yeah nope cancer uh, sexual abuse like any sort of tragedies when god becomes the author of that yeah to protect our bad theological positions Mm -hmm. that's really problematic and i would say it's not that it's not that god can't bring things from those tragedies yeah but he's not. It's not that they are happening for a reason. So that's it's very two different. different things, right? Tom Ord would say that God is very capable of squeezing 
good out mm-hmm. of bad, but that doesn't mean that God created the bad and planned the bad to squeeze the good. Are you saying that God makes lemonade out of lemons? God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he didn't give you the lemons in the first place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You just woke up like, oh, there's some lemons here. Let's yeah. make lemonade. Yeah. That's great. Also, I think we jumped too too quickly to the lemonade though. You know, so like in the funeral yeah. procession lines, we'll be wanting to have our glasses ready and to pour somebody a cup. Not the time. Sometimes dude. you gotta stare at the lemons for a bit. Yes. And wonder what you're gonna do with them. Sometimes I don't want to carry this metaphor too far. <laughs> oh, it's like, already kind of getting there. Sometimes those lemons are just gonna rot on your table. Yeah. And the the lemonade's gonna have to come from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I don't think you, you should could... probably throw them into the garden though, because yeah. like you know they'll decompose. Fertilize. Okay, yeah. we've killed this. <laughs> I know. I know. But like you cannot convince me that enter tragedy here was purposed for no enter result here no get out of my face it's so that, damaging yes and there's as you know as a minister there's anecdote upon anecdote of dumb things that people have said to try to pacify the grief of the person across the because table because people are so uncomfortable a lot go. of times sitting with people in there it's a selfish platitude which which means nobody's saying, hey, worship leader, can you really just tone it down a bit and sing more sad songs? Right. Because we'd all love to do that. <laughs> now, I mean, we've been known. We've been known to be the sad church from time to time. I think that's more of just a... It's funny because I don't see it that way. It's just more of a, we have an acoustic guitar and we don't have smoke and lights. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of pep that you can offer with one guitar and two voices. Maybe if we brought a tambourine into the mix. Oh, gosh. (laughs) All right. But I'm not playing it. I refuse. So one thing, uh, one more thing about the psalm itself that I think is interesting, and then we'll we'll try to bring this all home. Many commentators identified this this declaration in verse 2 where the people, the onlookers, are saying, there's no deliverance for you. It's so weird that that the English translation there is for you. Because the Hebrew is for him. So it's almost like they're off to the side, whispering amongst themselves, saying, there's no deliverance for him. That guy's screwed. God doesn't love him. He's done. Mm-hmm. And they may, that's like the, the poem's central theological issue. Because the implication there is, you've got people whispering off to the side, there's no, there's no deliverance. There's no salvation for him. The implication is, but there's, there's definitely deliverance for us i'm in we're good they're not in he's not yeah like uh, we're fine he's screwed so it seems to presume that this deliverance is available for somebody somewhere so it's almost like it these are not the enemies taunting the guy saying ha 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 your god is stupid this is people within brosif's own community saying oh gosh look at him now god's totally abandoned him i'm glad that we're not like that this is in-house onlookers saying, oh, no, he's doing it again, and he's <laughs> out. Glad it's not me. So uh, one scholar, John Goldengay, says the onlookers are dismissing the suppliant, the one who's praying, as someone who's cast off by God, who therefore has no prospects of deliverance and will not escape defeat or evade failure or find healing. And in so doing, they're making this massive theological claim. They're playing the role of the gatekeeper, uh, and they're producing a limiting 
arrogant presumption against God. And I just think that that's a bit relatable. Yeah. In-house, oh no, God doesn't love him like he loves us, Ooh, right? Yeah. I think that we could hang out here and again, like Psalms are old. They're set in an old time. It's patriarchal. It's sometimes very male-centered. It's nationalistic, focusing on Israel. But there's moments when we can dip in and say, I, but I get that. You know, whatever the whatever this guy's enemies were or foes were, yeah, if it's David, that's real. But I mean, anybody else praying this in the temple, these are probably metaphorical enemies and foes, like my metaphorical enemies and foes. And I get the fact that people in in my own community might be saying, this guy's nuts and he's just not, he's not in Mm -hmm. because so many, so many fill in the reasons because he supports this movement or because he thinks this theologically or because he reads Galatians in this way or because he doesn't believe in a literal six day creation Mm -hmm. scheme or because like just any number of things. There's the list. Or because he hasn't evangelized his, his Buddhist neighbor or because like, any number of things Mm -hmm. that people will then say and i know that god just doesn't mm, that's too bad (laughs) you know gosh i can i could hang out there and Mm -hmm. i don't want to i don't want to but i know other people probably could too Mm -hmm. and so this shift of nope i'm not gonna listen to that because i know that god is a shield around me and i'll be honest with you Sometimes the, there's no deliverance for him, voice is louder in my head than, but you are a shield around me. Mm -hmm. Screw that. I'm I'm rolling with you Mm -hmm. because you've been there in the past and I know you'll be there again. So rise up and show these people how stupid they are. I added that last bit. (laughs) I don't think Eugene Peterson. That's not in the text. No, (laughs) it's not. And that's probably part of my problem is like, I want to stick it to people when they're being idiots yeah the psalmist doesn't necessarily want to do that but the psalmist is saying it's almost like i know you can do it so do it it's not defiant so much as it is pleading like come on we can do this buddy <laughs> you know yeah. like to god like come on man the little engine yeah, that could. let's keep keep going so there's a lot of stuff in this psalm that are deeply relevant and applicable Mm -hmm. on its own you hit scan you come on psalm 3 you you listen to it you hear it and you think that's good i can i can take some of that and i can become the unnamed i Mm -hmm. now when you step one step back and this won't take very long when you take one step back and you understand that the larger collection of psalms has been ordered intentionally Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, both of those are untitled psalms, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because there's 116 titled psalms, but the first two are not. Mm -hmm. So some people would think, most people would think, those psalms have been put there on purpose. It's the EDM of the (laughs) Psalter. (laughs) Some random person, Mm -hmm. in this case a scribe or a, you know, a group of editors said, you know what would really kick this thing off? Some Psalm EDM. One. <laughs> Psalm 1, set to some club music. Yes. Because what Psalm 1 does 
is it says in very clear terms, there's righteous and there's wicked. The righteous will meditate on Torah. And if they do, success, Mm -hmm. prospering. And not like in a weirdo American, you'll get a big tax return sort of way. I mean like a, you will live if you do this. Not so the wicked. They're going to die. Mm-hmm. That's the one way to phrase it. It's very black and white. The Psalms open with this, life works in this way. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Do good, get God. Do bad, die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Do bad, get good. What? Nope, that's not what I meant to say. So you got this thing, and it's like, this is the framework to view the whole collection. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Psalm 2. It's another, like, do this, get that psalm. Mm-hmm. And, but this one's about the king in particular. And it says things like, ask Yahweh, and I will or, or, not the person that is being asked is Yahweh. So ask, you know, ask Yahweh this, and Yahweh will make the nations, talking to the king, your your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Like It's very much, if you do this, I will show up for you. Mm-hmm. If you meditate on Torah, success, prospering. If you follow me and if you ask me, I will be there for you and I will support you, king, and I will... I will give you everything that you need to lead this people. It's do this. It's like we're going to start you off with a couple that are easy to digest. Yeah. And you're like, you're going like, this is going great. Pumping his fist right now. Yeah. Like Paulie from the the Jersey Shore. Like this. (laughs) Yeah, that's a throwback. (laughs) I'm old. Uh, So like, yeah, this is going great. This collection is awesome. And I'm so into it. All I got to do is this. And then all the king's got to do is that. And this is great. And then Psalm 3 shows up and it's like, oh, but remember that time the king was an idiot and his kid was coming after him? And he was like, eh, I don't need, uh, I don't know what to do. (laughs) So you got. You just went into your Aziz voice. Yeah. Do good, get good. Do bad, die. Mm God will be with the king. And then Psalm 3, very quickly, record scratch. Like, no more EDM. We're going real sad. Yeah. Real hard. Like, just real tempo changing. Whiplash. But it's life. Yes. Life is whiplash. Make In that, some make ways. that sticker. <laughs> Noted. That's the point, though. Yeah. When you step back, it's not just, oh, here's a psalm that I can relate to. Because I have moments of enemies and foes. It's also, you have moments of enemies and foes set within this larger framework of your theology that is underlying this says that God will be this type of God or do this sort of thing. But you have to take that and apply it in the moments of your life when it doesn't seem like any of that's on the table. And what do you do then? Yeah. That's... That's why, to me, like, I said last week, I think the quote was, oh, I hate this book, you know? Yes. But there's nothing realer Mm -hmm. than this book. Psalm 3 is almost refreshing in that way. Because it it feels, like, more realistic. And it gets way worse. Psalm 3 is pretty tame. Mm. But it's like, here's how you read it. 
And then remember, at the very end, you've got that crescendo of praise. So people mm-hmm. think that Psalm 1 and 2 have been intentionally placed. And then they think that the end has been intentionally placed as well. And then in between, you got a whole lot of living. Yeah. Good, bad, really good, terrible. Mm -hmm. Theological stuff, things about your faith, like Torah and creation and like all these. But then you got some really visceral, emotional, raw, hand-wringing, tear-stained face screaming matches with a silent god and you're just saying rise up and do something now or i'm gonna die i love that yeah so brugamon is not wrong when he says there is a costly loss for lament because if we don't give people those tools in the midst of their own moments to feel the freedom to shake their fists and to say, what are you doing? And to know that A, they're not alone. B, they're not unique. C, like they're You're not special. You know what I mean though? It's like, yeah. yes, your situation is 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 important, but you're not the first person to think these things about God, nor does it take you out of the story. These are very normal, very um well accepted, and also even better than that, they're not just accepted because people have felt these things. God has heard them, and God does not turn God's back on the people for saying them. Right. So I'm hopeful, I guess, that we can learn to pray Psalm 3, set within this context of, here's some stuff that's like the foundational thing, and it's true, but it doesn't always look like that, Right. and it's not always that easy. And sometimes the king is in the back of a chariot with a mole skine <laughs> writing about his punk kid instead of just asking God to do stuff and trusting that everything will be okay. We've got, and sometimes we're that person too. You know, we're mm-hmm. in the back of the chariot and we don't know what's going on and we're scared to death. And that is part of the book. Like there's a place for that there. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts from you? I got nothing. Oh, man. It's just, I don't know. One of these weeks, you're going to have this summary statement. Are you wanting me to have a summary statement at the end of these Always. Things? Yes, always. What? News to you. Yeah. We'll shoot for it next week. I don't well, know. I, I would just say that it's nice to have stuff that feels real in the book of Psalms and not just this stuff. It's all real, but it's nice oh, to... Oh, no. Yeah, I get it. I, I I resonate with this sort of real way more than I do. God is so neat and good. And I feel like there's probably room on both sides of the spectrum. The people who are sitting only with the yeah. songs of celebration and praise and all of that to move and be more comfortable with lament, and there's... This lament psalms people who can move more towards praise. Well, the one thing we should say, too, in conclusion is it's not just about you. And I, I feel like we've kind of diverted in that way. If, well, we're Americans. So. Well, yeah. But a lament should be offered 
every day mm-hmm. for someone on behalf of somebody. Yeah. So even if like, well, I don't get, I don't get what the psalmist in Psalm three is feeling. Somebody does, right. and I'm not talking just about somebody who lost their job in Middle America. I'm talking about like entire people groups who are being mistreated. Even is an understatement. Injustices are happening. Wars everywhere, are happening. Every day. Like yeah, just yeah. I mean, intense, crazy things are are taking place, and understanding that these words can be applied for other people and prayed on their behalf is a really uh, important thing for us to hold on to. Yeah. All right. Next week, we're going to stay with the quasi-depressing and think about Psalm 13. Until then, peace, love, and equality. Bye.